Matter of fact, I just, I had a situation with one of my uh, companies recently where I was like, that wig looks terrible. You are not going to do that to her. <laughs> you are not going to do that to her. And he was just like, well, what do we do? Because she had dreads. Mm -hmm. She has natural dreads. And so it was difficult for them to put the wig over her dreads. Mm -hmm. And I said, go on YouTube. Like, go on YouTube. I guarantee. And so I was in there in the room as we and pulled up YouTube videos to be like, this is how you wig prep mm -hmm. a person with dreads mm -hmm. so that it'll fit correctly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the actor, the actress, who was playing a lead role, but is, was very... Um, She's very soft-spoken. Mm -hmm. After everybody left, she was like, thank you. Just thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. I was like, girl, I got you. I was not going to have you on stage <laughs> looking crazy. I'm just, I refuse. Welcome to What's Off, the podcast where we shine the spotlight on off-Broadway innovation. Each episode features interviews with trailblazing artists, administrators, service providers, and other theater workers in the off and off-off-Broadway community. I'm your host, Ashley J. Hicks, a.k.a. Ash. And I'm your other host, Nikki Maggio. Ashley, who was speaking at the top of that episode? That was a clip from my conversation with Tavia Revae Jefferson. Tell us why you wanted to interview Tavia. Tavia first realized something was off when she noticed a lack of cultural competence and resources in artistic spaces. So she created a new role to meet that need. She calls herself a cultural coordinator. Since cultural coordination is still very new in our field, I was very excited for the opportunity to chat with Tavia about how this role came to be, what it is, as well as her thoughts on the culture shift within our industry since the summer of 2020. Tavia is currently cultural coordinator for multiple regional touring West End and Broadway productions, including To Kill a Mockingbird, Company, and Hairspray. I can't wait to hear more from your conversation. So let's shine the spotlight on Tavia. And listeners, make sure to stick around after for a post-interview discussion with Ashley and myself. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I am so excited. You don't even know. I get the pleasure of interviewing the amazing, the lovely, the talented, the multi-hyphenate Tavia Jefferson. My goodness, you Hi. got me here blushing. Y'all can't see this right now. <laughs> but if you want to make a black girl blush, oh my goodness. Oh, wow, I, I'm honored and I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank y'all so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm just going to jump right in because I'm go. really excited. Let's um, go. So what is the origin story of how you got to where you are today? In other words, how did theater find you? All right. How much time we got? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll, try and I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. I was always quite um, precocious and loved to read. And so we had moved to, my father was in the military and we had left Japan where mm. I had started school and started learning Japanese and all of these things. And we moved to Jacksonville, Arkansas. <laughs> Talk about a culture shock, uh -uh. right? Um, so we moved to Jacksonville, Arkansas, and luckily we found a fantastic church home, and I was reading at an event at our church, and someone saw me, and they saw me reading, and my mother, who has always been an ideas person, was like, you know, you should, you should do this. 
Like you should, so she talked to somebody. I, I really couldn't even tell you. You'd have to talk to Sonora about it because <laughs> I don't know. She talked to somebody from Comcast Cable. I had an audition, and from there I had a TV show. I, I was seven years old. I don't quite know the trajectory. I just know I was reading a book, and then I was reading it on TV. Um, wow. and my, with my mom as, like, writer, stage manager, producer, like, all of the things. We'd have people from my church come and, and uh, you know, sing, perform, do little skits, read more stories. And so it was going well, and I was becoming a little, you know, small-town celebrity in Jacksonville, Arkansas. And my mother, who also had been an artist when she was younger, um, was like, okay, this is getting a little too easy. Mm. I kind of want to teach her all of the sides of entertainment. Mm. And when I was I was gone on a field trip and she saw an ad for a modeling agency, mm-hmm. she's like, I'm going to take her down there and have her audition and kind of teach her. It's, I think the intention was what rejection was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they gave me a scholarship to the modeling <laughs> just, school. Just like, okay, that lesson was not learned. <laughs> they gave me a scholarship to the modeling school. We came to New York for IMTA for the competition and I got signed with a manager. And then my aunt, my great aunt who lived here was like, hey, y'all can move in with me here in Jamaica, Queens and move to Queens. And then kind of that was the beginning the beginning of the end for me because I was it opened up so many doors I did a lot of tv and film as a kid and um my first broadway show well the first broadway show I saw which shall remain nameless I saw it and I was like if this is what broadway is mm. I want nothing to do with it mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like this is what it is I hated it wow um, I'll tell y'all after okay. what it was uh and then I ended up auditioning for Christmas Carol mm-hmm. at Madison Square Garden which really just kind of changed the game for me I was the first black uh, child in the cast Mike Ockrent Susan Stroman I think that year it was Ken Page Roddy McDowell Hal Linden and then all of these kids right who made me feel seen and and um made me feel talented and I didn't I had gotten a lot of backlash as a kid for speaking white you mm-hmm. know I was like, you mm-hmm. talk white and and you got curly hair so you think you better than and it mm-hmm. was all of this especially in Arkansas and then I started theater and there was none of that and everybody was different and everyone was diverse and everyone was happy and, and uh the spaces were were really joyful and so that was kind of yeah I loved that yeah. I loved that like the the origin story of once again, and I'm looking at Nikki right now. I'm like, once again, it found you. It was not, you weren't looking for it. You were reading in church. Yeah. And it was like, hey. Yeah. I, I love that. I yeah. love that. So I'm going to jump in, uh, jump ahead yeah. a little bit. Um, ahead, but behind or back. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about your uh, aha moment of when you recognize that there was a need, Mm. that there was something missing in this industry, in this field, and um, that need was a cultural coordinator, how that came about. So um, I had, uh, I guess to kind of go back to to come forward, uh, I was here in New York until I was about 16, Mm. then we went um, and, and moved to Las Vegas where my dad wanted to retire. And then I went to college and I thought I needed to get a big girl job. Mm, And mm -hmm. so I majored in communication studies with a minor in PR. I worked for the city of Anaheim. I worked for the LA Chamber of Commerce as their communications manager, Um, interpersonal communication, organizational communication, all of those aspects as a, you know, 
learning more about mediation, conflict resolution, writing, all of that. Until I was sitting in a cubicle and was like, mm-hmm. this cannot be my life. Like, I can't, <laughs> I cannot do this for the rest of my life. So promptly called my mother and was like, hey, I think, I think I'm going to quit my, you know, full salary, 401k mm-hmm. benefits job. And all she said was, I was wondering what was taking you so long. <laughs> and what I just, I loved that as a response because she never, she never pressured me. It was never like, you need to go back to performing. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, she'll find her way. Mm-hmm. And when she's ready, she's, she's ready. And I, baby, I was ready. <laughs> I was like, get me out of this box. So uh, moved back to New York, was performing for some time and things were going well. Uh, I, a lot of cruise lines, hairspray, Motown the Musical, all of the things. Then I had the pleasure of working with my now mentor and director for for the next couple of projects I'm on, um, Shelly Williams Mm -hmm. at Motown, the first black woman director that I had ever had an opportunity to be in a space Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching her and being like, wow, I... I want to know how she does that. I think I have some of her instincts, but I loved the way that she communicated Mm -hmm. and also just how she made the space feel Mm -hmm. as opposed to what I didn't know were kind of harmful spaces before, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. Right. And you kind of just rock with it. And so in 2019, a friend of mine had asked me to be her associate director because I had been, I just made it a, a point to connect with every female director that I could. If ever I saw them in a space, I was like, hey, what do you need? You need a lackey, you need a coffee getter, you need a shoe shiner. I just wanna be in the room and watch you work, especially women of color. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who is also now one of my closest friends and she was like, I'm doing a show at Nymph called Freedom Summer. Uh, I'd love for you to step in as my assistant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Freedom Summer was about, three civil rights activists who were killed in Alabama in 1962. What is it? Goodman, uh, Schwarmer, and Cheney, Mm -hmm. I think it was. And the show, beautiful music, beautiful story, written by two young white men from Baldwin Wallace. Mm -hmm. And while I was there from in a directing standpoint or a directing aspect, I found myself playing a role of... um, translating mm-hmm. some of the things that were happening in the piece because obviously it was a it was a multiracial cast mm-hmm. there are a lot of aspects that were inflammatory and difficult and I found myself kind of playing moderator mm-hmm. in that you know I could say because I was on the other side of the table to the director or excuse me to the writers black people don't talk like this mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. this is why this black actress was triggered by this moment because it's rooted and steeped in this history mm-hmm. or we need to take five minutes and have a conversation about what we're doing here mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and they just kind of it, it kind of evolved that way it wasn't intentional it just that's just what happened and I, I rewrote some of the script for them and and there were a lot of ways in which I really appreciated them allowing me that space mm-hmm. and they were open to that so in 2020 when the world fell apart mm-hmm. and after the execution of George Floyd, I found myself in a lot of Zoom rooms and, and affinity spaces where I was hearing that we needed, we people of color needed a space or a representative to speak on our behalf when we didn't feel safe to mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. white people needed 
a way to understand that information and receive that information. They also didn't know what they didn't know and they didn't, right, they didn't right. know what to ask. They didn't know how to say things, you know. And I remember thinking, oh, they need something like I was at Freedom Summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started to build it, taking all of my years of communication studies, all of the things I had learned about mediation, conflict resolution, and then, of course, my 25 years of experience in the industry mm-hmm. because theater is very nuanced. It's not like regular HR, right? right? Like we we expose all of ourselves very often, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively, right? Mm-hmm. Like we literally undress in front of each other and we're also emoting to a significant degree that you wouldn't do in a typical corporate space. So I built it with the intention of giving it to equity and being Mm -hmm. like, this is, you know, this is kind of the structure of what this should look like and you all should use it in all of your contracts moving forward. Mm -hmm. And um, the head of DEI at equity at the time was like, this is great. You should do it. (laughs) <laughs> it's like no no that's not that's not what this is that's not why I brought this yeah. to you this, this is for but you know towards the end of that summer as these conversations were getting more and more tumultuous and more and more hostile mm-hmm. it really became very apparent to me if not me who mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. um I had these very unique this very unique skill set of, of these multiple aspects that I could bring together and combine and I just figured, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's try it out. You and said yes. I said yes. You said yes. Very apprehensively, but right. yes, I said yes. Right, the, this idea of being the first of something or a pioneer of something, and hopefully the, the hope is like to create more, mm-hmm. but being the first yeah. is, um, is a big responsibility. Yeah, it's which huge. is why I was like, <laughs> like nah, I didn't, bro. I gave this to y'all. I am an actor. I am an assistant director. Like, <laughs> nothing about what my plan was included, mm-hmm. including cultural coordinating. Right. And, and, and to be fair, there were wonderful people who were already doing this kind of work mm-hmm. to a degree um, as I was researching cultural coordinating, as I was building it before I even had planned on taking it on. Mm-hmm. Marissa Kennedy. Um, the diversity editor mm-hmm. and James mm-hmm. Intimacy Coordinators of Color, um, the founder of Intimacy Coordinators of Color. I reached out to both of them mm-hmm. to one uh, get their insight and, and make sure that I wasn't reinventing the wheel. Right, like they right. had been doing this work, and I didn't want to take this over. Um, and they were so instrumental in guiding me mm-hmm. and collaborating with me. Right, there was no gatekeeping. There was no, there was no ego. It was just, this thing needs to get done. I serve it in this way. You serve it in that way. Mm-hmm. And and we can all conserve it. We can all serve it in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was very, very grateful for people like that who really helped me get started. I love that. Mm-hmm. And we here at Art New York love Ann James. Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, I want to go back to... <laughs> the year of 2020 Oof. and talk more about, you know, as someone who had been, had this awareness of the pervasive racism plaguing our society and our industry before 2020, it was like, yeah, the world fell apart, but these challenges were not new. Right. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the, this new culture shift in our field? <laughs> 
big question. Big question. <laughs> One thing, and I remember Marissa and I having this conversation about why I was um, – the right one, one of the right ones to step into this space. And it's because I know how to navigate white fragility. Mm. Uh, it was a conversation Marissa and I had had about, you know, especially in that moment when it was so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, he's laughing and I'm, I'm, I can't help it. But it's real. Like yes. it's, it's, it's so real and it's so necessary because the fragility is mm-hmm. so real mm-hmm. and so strong Mm -hmm. and to a degree I do have compassion and grace for that Mm -hmm. in that um you you don't know what you don't know right Mm -hmm. that I can forgive but when you do know you do better right and also, you don't get grace for not knowing because of your privilege. Mm-hmm. You don't get a pass because you didn't see it because you were privileged. Mm-hmm. You can say, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to feel bad that you didn't know. Right. Because right. you chose not. You cho- you, you know, you could have seen it. Mm-hmm. You could have, if mm-hmm. you was really paying attention, you could have. You could have seen it and mm-hmm. you just had a privilege and you have to acknowledge your privilege. I think what I keep saying is privilege is not synonymous with racist. And that was something that I had to say in so many of my spaces because the word privilege had come with such weight mm-hmm. at that time. It was so such a scary word. Oh, I'm not privileged. I, you know, I was on welfare as a child and, mm-hmm. I, and it's like, okay, but I'm looking at you and I guarantee you that you had an advantage. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I tried to provide uh, levels of understanding in that, like, I, even as a black woman, I have privilege in that I am cis heteronormative, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's privilege in the fact that I feel the way I was gendered, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a privilege in that alone. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about that, and, and I, I don't feel, I, I don't feel guilty about that. Right. I just recognize it. And I'm not going to dismiss somebody else's experience because I know that, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm privileged in that way, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm. And so a lot of those conversations, I had to navigate the fragility, the defensiveness, the not knowing, the not wanting to know, mm-hmm. because it was easier. And you had on your rose-colored glasses and you were able to see the world from a certain lens. And then it was like everyone was forced mm-hmm. to feel yeah. Um, and I keep saying that like the summer of 2020 was a divine series of events mm-hmm. because where we were with COVID and being stuck in the house mm-hmm. and all of the things that were going on, we were forced to watch nine minutes and 37 seconds. Was it? Or was it I think, I think nine so. 37. We were forced to watch. We were forced to see. We were forced to listen mm-hmm. um, in ways that were so dynamic Mm -hmm. and, you know, changed the space Mm -hmm. for a time Mm -hmm. because one of my biggest observations Mm -hmm. now is that I'm not getting as many calls or that the conversations are a little shorter. Mm -hmm. It's not about the long-term work. It's Tavia, can you come in really quickly? Mm -hmm. You know, can you come in for a day and run a session? And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. that's not how this works. Mm You know, all of this takes time. And I think both sides of this reckoning need to recognize, 
recognize me, uh, <laughs> that it's going to take some time. Yeah. None of this was going to happen in a day. It wasn't going to happen in a year. It took hundred a hundred years of of theater, right, to even acknowledge that we had an issue, right? right? Like we're still. It's it's going to be a slow turn, mm-hmm. um, but it has to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And my concern now is that it's not as consistent, mm-hmm. and people are not as committed to it as they were mm-hmm. immediately following, or immediately in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my biggest thing is just like if you're going if you're going to talk the talk, if you ha- if you still have an equality statement on your page, I need to see your budget. Mm-hmm. I need to see that your budget is doing the DEI work mm-hmm. and you have either consistent dedicated classes or a consistent role that has power and authority in the space. Because mm-hmm. that's that's the other thing is everyone's getting this, you know, title head. Oh, we've got a DEI coordinator. We've got a DEI specialist. You know, we've got a DEI director. Mm-hmm who hasn't been able to implement change because nobody wants to listen to them. Nobody wants to take their direction. Everyone is very defensive and or worried about how much money they're going to make, how much money they're going to lose, all of these aspects. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, then you're not really, you're not really doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that you mentioned the budget aspect of it because in one of our last interviews that came up with like disability justice rights of like, if it is not in the budget, mm-hmm. I feel that it becomes a reactionary thing rather than a proactive thing. Absolutely. And that's exactly it is everyone is just trying to save their tails now mm-hmm. rather than catching it on the front end. And I'm like, this is how we got into the problem in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Exactly. Like if y'all, if y'all were more proactive and prepared and People like myself and Anne and Marissa, we're telling you what it is you need to do. Mm-hmm. And you're taking your time, you're dragging your feet, you're focusing on, you know, ticket sales mm-hmm. and all, all of that, which I get it. We lost a lot. We lost mm-hmm. a lot during COVID. And mm-hmm. so that that makes sense. But also the larger conversation is if you paid as much attention to diversity mm-hmm. as your statement says you could make back a lot of that money. Yes. Like yes. when I see these things about Ain't No Mo, when I see these things about K-pop, what I, you mm-hmm. know, when I'm hearing all of these stories about how these shows were, you know, underattended or mm-hmm. whatever, I'm like, y'all just didn't, y'all didn't put that in the budget. Yeah. 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 You didn't put it in the budget. And this could have been, now a friend of mine, uh, uh, my mentor said something that was really funny and I thought, Oh, you know what? She's absolutely right. One of the reasons Ain't No More was difficult. It's it's a show that should have been marketed to more black people. Black people don't like the cold. We ain't coming out to mm-hmm. see a show. Like you don't you don't open a black show in the winter. That <laughs> you <part>. don't <laughs> you don't open a black show in the winter. We're not coming out in the cold. Mm-hmm. Open it in the spring. We'll be here. Mm-hmm. And do the push that you did when you found out it was closing mm-hmm. at the beginning. Exactly. Why did that push happen so late in the game? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, sorry. No, 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 no. Are we allowed to talk about that? No, yes. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, you're saying everything that I'm <laughs> moving on because mm-hmm. I can talk about that aspect of right. it for days. Right. Um, but moving on with cultural coordination. Yeah. 
being a cultural coordinator. For those who are not familiar with this, because it is really, really new, mm -hmm. and as someone who is very interested in, in doing this work, what is a cultural coordinator? Absolutely. Uh, the elevator pitch, a uh, cultural coordinator is a mediator, moderator, resource, and liaison as it relates to the art for cultural sensitivities in the artistic space. So I play a lot of different roles. Um, specifically, I would say moderator, mm -hmm. right? Facilitating conversations uh, around culturally sensitive material or culturally sensitive spaces. Mm -hmm. um, educator, usually for both sides. I mm -hmm. do a little bit of dramaturgical, a little bit of dramaturgical work, both with the cast and with the creatives, mm -hmm. especially when they don't identify as the role that they are, right. are directing, writing, all of that. Um, and yeah, in a liaison, one of the biggest conversations is how people of color don't feel empowered to speak up in the space mm -hmm. and how there were so many things that were being overlooked because we were scared mm -hmm. to speak up and afraid that we're going to come off as a trope or afraid that we're not going to get cast again or all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I can go to the wig people and say, do you have the right do you have the right products for this person's hair? Mm -hmm. And I can go to the director. Matter of fact, I just, I had a situation with one of my uh, companies recently where I was like, that wig looks terrible. You mm -hmm. are not going to do that to her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you are not going to do that to her. And he was just like, well, what do we do? Cause she had dreads. Mm -hmm. She has natural dreads. And so it was difficult for them to put the wig over her dreads. Mm -hmm. And I said, go on YouTube, like go on YouTube. I guarantee, and so I was in there in the room as we and pulled up YouTube videos to be like, this is how you wig prep mm -hmm. a person with dreads mm -hmm. so that it'll fit correctly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the actor, the actress, who was playing a lead role, but is, was very, um, she's very soft-spoken. Mm -hmm. After everybody left, she was like, thank you. Just thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. I was like, girl, I got you. I was not going to have you on stage <laughs> looking crazy. I just, I refuse. It's like, we, I see that, okay, mm -hmm. I'm not, no, no. Right, Y'all not going to do this to her, <laughs> no. but also do your research. Exactly. Like, exactly. The show isn't new. You knew that you were going to have a black artist and you saw her in rehearsals with her dreads. Mm -hmm. Why weren't you all prepared? Mm -hmm. Because I've been in other spaces with, leading white females who have everything but the kitchen sink ready mm -hmm. when they arrive. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, just, you know, everybody keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. How just you're approaching. Effort. Right. Cause she's, she's also a star in the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I need y'all to bring that same energy, bring that same energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stay consistent. Mm -hmm. um, what are the components that make a cultural coordinator? Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on identifying that now as I'm trying to, because my goal is to train more right, of, of right. me. And that was something that Equity had told me. They're like, this is a fantastic idea and you can build this, but if we're going to tell everyone that they need this in their spaces, you can't be the only one. Right, right. right. And you shouldn't be. And I shouldn't, shouldn't be. And, be. and the, you know, the emotional labor is a lot and I find myself needing support yeah, in so many yeah. ways. And and that's why it's beneficial that I have Anne and Marissa. And now um, I'm working with an artist named Chels Morgan over in, in California. And we just have a wonderful network if, if, uh, if one can't or isn't right. available. 
it's tricky because I have a lot of people who do come up to me and say, oh, I want to be a cultural coordinator, mm-hmm. but I am looking at some of their characteristics. I don't know if you have the right qualities. Mm-hmm. There is, there, you know, like I said, you do need to be able to navigate white fragility. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying shuck and jive. Like right, that's not right. like you, we don't, I'm, I, that, that game I don't play either. But if you're approaching things with too much hostility and too much animosity, right. everybody shuts down. Right. Right. So I need you to be level-headed. Mm-hmm. I need you to have um, uh, effective communication skills. Mm-hmm. Right. I need, I need you to have effective mediation and conflict resolution skills. Mm-hmm a certain level of compassion and understanding and introspection that allows you to one, check yourself because I'm not always right. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I, there are times where I get it wrong mm-hmm. and, but also the ability to look at a situation and look deeper than the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, finding, you know, seeing a situation and saying, okay, they're behaving this way based on X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. How do I get to the bottom of that. It's very much like a director, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's very much like a theater director or just a director in general where they have to examine a person with all of their idiosyncrasies, mm-hmm. you know, all of their things and say, okay, how do I get them to give me what I need? Mm-hmm. How do I get them to deliver this in this way? And so it's about that investigation. It's, it, it is an art, one that I'm still mm-hmm. learning and evolving and navigating. Um, but one of the most difficult things for me has been building this curriculum and trying to identify who I think would be good in this role because it is my baby. And, mm-hmm. and at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if I give this to somebody and they misrepresent it or, or you know, misuse it or abuse it, um, that, that comes back on me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whether, whether it actually comes back on me or not. Like right. I take responsibility for that. Right. And I don't want to send anybody into the field who isn't actually ready mm-hmm. because that can be incredibly harmful. Like mm-hmm. we're trying to heal spaces, not create more trauma. Yeah. And so it's tricky yeah. and I need to release control. And <laughs> I've been talking to my therapist about it. who's like, just do it. And, you know, so we're, you we're, too, huh? Oh, I'm like, oh I'm my like, gosh. She's okay, like, Tavia, why are we still talking about it? Launch the class. <laughs> I'm like, well, but what if the people that apply aren't? She's like, Launch the class. Well, and then I, I don't feel good, uh, you know, charging people of color to take the, launch the class. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So you mentioned uh, earlier about the emotional labor, because I can imagine a role such as this, it's your empathic mm-hmm. alarms are blaring, especially if it's going to be uh, in a room in a, in a space uh, about a work that is particularly, that can be particularly triggering mm-hmm. for the group of people that are in that room. Absolutely. What are other examples of challenges that come with being a cultural coordinator? Um, I would first say, yeah, the, the lack of authority you, you have in a space, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, there have been situations where, where I'm saying a thing mm-hmm. and I'm saying it with good reason mm-hmm. and I, nobody's listening mm-hmm. and I don't have the power to implement change. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to wait for the director or I have to wait for the general manager or I have to wait 
to have a conversation with somebody or mm-hmm. um, to change something in the blocking or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. And so not having that power mm-hmm. is really, really complicated for me mm-hmm. because then what it looks like is no matter how many conversations I'm having on the back end, my my responsibility is to the artists, the mm-hmm. marginalized in the, in the space, and all they see is that things aren't getting done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I'm not being useful, like I'm not being effective in my role, and I feel like I'm just there as some sort of a figurehead. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, really frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would, that's like probably the biggest one for me. So earlier you mentioned that before you established this role, you reached out to Anne and Marissa about making sure that you weren't recreating the wheel based on work that they had already established with their practices. Mm -hmm. Um, and for instance, with, with Anne James, um, how are intimacy directors, and cultural coordinators similar? Like how would they overlap? Mm. And how are they like, no, you are responsible for this, they are responsible for this. Absolutely. Well, and it's really interesting because I did, I I built cultural coordinating off of intimacy direction. Mm -hmm. I had seen kind of what was happening in that space as far as boundaries, conversations, you know, the the, the things that were um, being established in the space as it relates to intimacy. And I was like, well, we just need the same thing, Mm -hmm. but for culture and cultural sensitivities. And so in a lot of ways we are very, you know, I come in, we set boundaries, Mm -hmm. we, um, we create guidelines on how to proceed, how to stop. If we need to, we identify the thing, we name the thing, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, if it's going to be uncomfortable or hard and all of that. Um, And so those are a lot of the ways in which intimacy and and cultural cultural coordinating overlap. Mm -hmm. I think the only way that they're different is that I don't deal with the physical. Gotcha. I don't deal with the physical. If I'm ever doing something where the physical is involved, I would invite an intimacy coordinator. In a lot of the shows I've been doing, it's been a fight coordinator. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, I can be present to assist you, you know, to supplement your work on Mm -hmm. this end. Um, but what's interesting is I know that Anne has since developed because while she was only predominantly working on intimacy to begin with, Mm -hmm. she had an expansive knowledge that would allow her to kind of do the cultural sensitivity space as well. And so she now is doing a sensitivity specialist, which is very similar to cultural coordinating Mm. because yeah, she has, she has that toolbox Mm -hmm. and, she doesn't just do intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the roles do very much overlap. I think the only difference is that I don't do the physical. I don't do intimacy choreography or anything like that. Like I don't have that skill. Gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, I watched the YouTube video on your on your website about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, good. I did update that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, okay, this is research that I need to watch." And it was, it was, it was really interesting. And I know that it um, happened in the UK, and it also happened over here. Mm-hmm. So, what were your takeaways from that experience? What did you learn? Mm. I'm so grateful to so many people for that for that opportunity. Which you know, I'm still I'm still on. I'm still on the tour. I'm still on uh, the West End. Mm-hmm. 
I, I tell everybody, I made cultural coordinating up. Like, I made it up, <laughs> you know? Like I, I was, love it. I just made it up, y'all. <laughs> I started with Mockingbird in, what was that, August, September of 21? I was, I was winging it. I was winging it. <laughs> I love it. But what's so fascinating, I think it was the summer of 2019 when I had done Nymph mm-hmm. with, my, with my, my friend, and she had given me an article about the person playing Tom Robinson Mm -hmm. in Mockingbird on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading it. His name is Banga. And I think the article, it was an op-ed in Washington Post. And it was something like, I die as a black man every night on stage and then I have to face the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was just speaking to the cultural difficulties of playing Tom Robinson, all that that is, um, you know, being killed and, and, and being spat the N-word and mm-hmm. all of that. And then walking out the stage door. Right. And white patrons feeling comfortable enough to be like, so how does it feel to hear the word at, uh-huh. on stage? Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. then just, again, spitting it at you. But mm-hmm. as, as a person mm-hmm. now, like not on stage. And I remember when I read it in 2019, I was like, oh, they need somebody like what I did for Freedom Summer. Mm-hmm. And so to get the call in the summer of 2021, mm-hmm. that was like, hey, Bartlett Share is going to call you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be very honest. Don't tell him. I had no idea who he was. <laughs> I was like, I do not know this I man. had to write. I was like, I'm sorry to this man. Who? <laughs> and I intentionally, because my mentor was like, hey, Bartlett Share is going to call you. And I intentionally didn't look him up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. If it's for me, it's for me. And um, he ended up calling me and we had, you know, he was like, hi, I'm doing To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, got it. And we had a really, really great conversation where it, then it clicked and I was like, oh, the article. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I remember this. And I remember what that person was going through. So it did give me a little bit of a, uh, of a, of an outline mm-hmm. of where I needed to start. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like creating boundaries around the N word, making sure that we're providing mental and emotional safety for mm-hmm. all the people of color in the space, making sure that we're having um, conversations with those who have to be violent racists mm-hmm. in the show mm-hmm. about de-rolling mm-hmm. so that when they walk out of the space, they don't feel still like a violent racist. Right. right? You know, right. like there were all kinds of aspects and I, I am so grateful to Banga for, um, speaking his truth because it really did serve as a, as a guide for me mm-hmm. as I was working with To Kill a Mockingbird. It's, again, it's ever evolving and it has been the biggest teacher as I create this work mm-hmm. because there are so many aspects of it that are so complicated when we talk about the language, when we talk about, you know, um, where that that era in itself we talk about the fact that it is directed and written by two white men Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. we gotta we gotta talk about that Mm -hmm. and the fact that even as as well written as i feel it is it's still a very difficult story for people of color Mm -hmm. like we don't we don't win we don't win in that story and i can't promise the cast, the artists who are putting their hearts on stage every night, that the audience is going to receive the message that they're supposed exactly. to. Exactly, exactly. You know? And so those are conversations that I'm constantly having to have of 
you know, there's a there's a part in the show that we changed back because in the book, originally Tom Robinson is shot 17 times. Mm. In the play before 2020, I think they had changed it to like three or four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then post-George Floyd, we had to have a conversation of, why did you change this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put it back. Yeah. Tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... I, I, I don't think it's as frequent here, but I know in the UK, sometimes for whatever reason, they laugh when he says, she says, uh, he says, Tom Robinson was shot. She says, how many times? He says, it's not important. She says, how many times? Mm-hmm. He says, 17. Mm-hmm. And people laugh. Wow. And I know the artist, specifically the, the person playing Calpurnia, would get so angry. Mm-hmm. She would get so mad. And I have my thoughts. I mean, for the London cast, and this is not an excuse, in London, and and again, this is me playing the get to the bottom, get to the root of things. Mm -hmm. In London, police don't carry guns. Right. They carry batons. Mm -hmm. So the idea of anybody being shot by a policeman 17 times in the UK is like, that's preposterous. Mm -hmm. Like, that could never happen. What? Mm -hmm. You know? And so... Again, not an excuse right. because you also have to consider your surroundings and like where you are. But I, at least over there, I think that's some of the mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. Here, I don't know why. Right, I don't right. know why they're laughing over here. And the problem is, is I can't, as much as I would like to hold them, I think one of the biggest difficulties is we create this safety, mm-hmm. this container as we're building it. And then we have to take it out into the world. Exactly. And there's no way to know how they're going to receive it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, it's it's interesting because it's very parallel to what I'm feeling about giving cultural coordinating to anybody right. else, right? right? It's like, I've built this container of safety. Mm-hmm. If I take it out into the world, what happens to it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's always, always part of the conversation that I have to have with these cast members as we're working through some of these items Mm-hmm. of like, I can I can give you all the tools in the world, but I can't control them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we just have to hope and pray that the audience is, is as evolved as we are. Mm-hmm. But that's, mm-hmm. again, that's that's a long game. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a long game. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so for someone who's interested in this work, and we talked a little bit about it um, at the top, but how would one begin the process of becoming a cultural coordinator? What what training, you mentioned qualifications. Mm -hmm. If someone were to tell you like, I want to do this and you're like, "Uh, what qualifications? qualifications? (laughs) I think um, just being able to exhibit strong communication skills, Mm -hmm. right? Like you may not have, you didn't need to go to school for communication studies, but being able to show that you have strong communication skills. I I think work in HR, I, I don't know if I think a history in theater is necessary, mm-hmm. um, or at least not for obviously as long as I've been involved in theater. Mm-hmm. I think you do need to understand entertainment and, and, and the industry to a degree mm-hmm. because there are so many little things mm-hmm. that one 
needs to be aware of right. that don't show up in regular spaces. Right. So I take that back. Disregard. Yes, you need to have experience <laughs> in the theater industry. I lied. Scratch that. Um, so yeah, uh, communication skills, theater skills. I personally prefer someone who identifies as someone from a marginalized community, whether mm-hmm. that be person of color. But like my dream is to have someone AAPINH, mm-hmm. uh, someone who can speak to the disability aspect, mm-hmm. someone who can speak to the Latinx aspect. You know, I want to have cultural coordinators of all marginalized identities. Mm-hmm. Um, Josephine Kearns is a really good friend of mine who mm-hmm. speaks to the gender mm-hmm. equality aspect of it all. And so whenever I see something that is dealing with that, I I call Josie. Mm-hmm. Like, That's all you, boo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, it's really, gosh, it's it's really not that difficult. Conflict resolution mm-hmm. and conflict mediation and um, moderating skills are, mm-hmm. I think, very necessary. Right. You don't have to have gone to school for that. Right. But you can find those kind of courses on LinkedIn mm-hmm. or Coursera or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. you can, you can, yeah, you can get that. Um, yeah, public speaking. Mm-hmm. Probably, like, comfort in public speaking. Mm-hmm. because so much of what we do is standing up in front of people right. and <laughs> asking them to trust you. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, if you don't have that level of confidence, um, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough to ask people to follow you. Right. <laughs> and it's like, you're the you're one like, with hey. the answers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. I should, I should really, I should work on that description. Thank I mean, you. it was beautiful. Thank you. No, thank you for asking me that. Because again, I I need to build what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need better. I need better breakdown. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna work on it. So, oh my gosh, I could talk to you for like days, hours. Oh, There's just so sweet. many stories. I, I I wish it was longer, but Listen, we don't get so me started. Don't get me started because I just I feel like I'm rambling. And so it's, no, it's you good. are not. I'm like oh, and the way my my brain works. I'm like, tangent, no, stay where we are. (laughs) Um, What are your hopes and your dreams for yourself as well as the industry, whether that as a cultural coordinator, as an actor, as a director, as a creator? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think first cultural coordinating, ideally I would have an agency of cultural coordinators Mm -hmm. who could serve this space. Um, and I could just be at the helm mm-hmm. and get that passive income. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just, just make sure everybody's doing okay. And, is, and then I get to do my passion projects. I think directing is definitely, I'm, I'm so, so very proud of cultural coordinating and, and what we've built. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the emotional labor, it's a lot on my right. heart. Right. And so I think directing, uh, ultimately I want to be, I do want to be an artistic director mm-hmm. somewhere. Somewhere quiet, mm-hmm. somewhere not New York. <laughs> um, you know, somewhere where I can get, I can buy a house for less than a million dollars, like something like that. I think in the interim, um, uh, directing, I'm, I'm associate directing two projects right now, which I'm really excited about. And then I, I'm, I'm still interested in performing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the pandemic kind of cut that short, but. And then obviously cultural coordinating just kind of took on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. But I definitely want to do more challenging acting, film mm-hmm. and TV. Like I really, I, I, oddly enough, I really want to be a talk show host. 
or like or like a or a red carpet correspondent like I really want to do that whole yes. thing I would love to do that because I could I could just sit here and talk to you all day and we could just uh, tangent after tangent it. they'd have to reel us in they'd be like okay it's it's midnight we have to go oh. we're like what well, yeah. yeah bye bye <laughs> we'll turn off the lights <laughs> we'll lock up no I love and I love that that you're still doing that thing that your mom encouraged you to do. You're learning about this industry from the different aspects mm -hmm. of it. And as it continues to change, That's you're like, true. I might be interested in that. Let me try that. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> we have come to the end of this conversation. Um, Tavia, it was so great to talk to you. Like, this is so great to talk to you. This was so great. Uh, so much fun. Any lasting words that you'd like to leave with our listeners about culture coordinators, coordination, the process. Launch the class. Like, <laughs> and I say that, I say, just do the thing. Mm -hmm. Like you, so many of us don't know what we have lying in wait, mm. right there. I, I never would have considered doing this if the pandemic hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful um, that I had an opportunity to to bring, you know, to collaborate with people and bring this to the forefront. There are so many brilliant minds out there who have so much to give to the industry. Mm -hmm. And so I just cur encourage you not to sit on it. Mm -hmm. Don't sit on it. Launch. Launch. Mm -hmm. If not you, then who? If not you, then who? Oh. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. Yes. Tavia Jesperson, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for I being had here. so much fun. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate y'all having me. back listeners uh ashley what an incredible interview we just had with tavia jefferson uh, thank you so much for conducting that um i would love to begin with how you know offline you have mentioned to me that you are really interested in becoming a cultural coordinator yourself so i would love to hear how you discovered that want and then now like talking to tavia how has that shifted have you do you want it more do you want it less like how do you feel so I first learned about cultural coordination through um, learning about intimacy direction. Mm -hmm. um, I took a intimacy captain certification with a beloved friend of Art New York, Ann James. Mm -hmm. um, she directed or intimacy, she was the intimacy director for my third year show in grad school. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I got to Art New York last year that I realized that Tavia and and were connected. And mm -hmm. I was like, hold on, I have an interest in this one thing, this one area with intimacy direction, and then learning about this entire, you know, this other role that is linked, but different. Mm. And being able to talk to Tavia about it, I was like, oh, wow, I, I do have an interest for it. And I, I think after, you know, doing the interview, right now, I'm like, which road do I choose? Because yeah. I think at first, um, before talking to her, I thought, oh, well, these roles are kind of similar or I can do both. And now I'm thinking like, I think I should pick one for now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it was a great, it was great to hear how she got into it and, um, listening to the need and what she noticed, you know, in the room and as an yes. actor. And I don't think it changed my interest at all. And now it's just, 
which which one do I exactly? No, I'm more <laughs> hungry about about both. But it was it was interesting to come into learning about this role through intimacy direction. One of Tavia's stories that has really been haunting me since we recorded uh, is when she talks about her experience with To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm going to quote Tavia directly, and she says, quote, And I can't promise the cast, the artists who are putting their hearts on stage every night, that the audience is going to receive the message that they're supposed to. So I would love your take both as an aspiring cultural coordinator and as a, a very seasoned actor and performer yourself, there's some, there seems to be something here about carrying the weight of the audience-actor relationship uh, when addressing complex and challenging material. Uh, so what is, what is the responsibility? What is the need for the production team, the producers, the creators in that room to kind of help negotiate that audience-actor relationship, especially through this very specific cultural lens? So the thing that I love about live theater is that you as an actor, as an artist on, on the stage, you get an immediate response from the audience. You don't have to wait for it. You know if they're there with you, you know if they're not. But I think the cost of that is anything can happen with an audience at any point. And I, as an actor and as an audience member, I have witnessed or experienced moments not going over the way that they were rehearsed. Like, you know, you hope for, oh, we're going to rehearse this and we're, we're hoping for, for, for this reaction. Mm. And it may not go that way. And I think that the story that Tavia told about that, that instance, there was shock but not surprise. Mm. And I feel when things like that happen, that should be treated as an injury because essentially it is. And if you're going to have an actor be comfortable coming back the next night only to be afraid that this is going to happen again. You know, there needs to be a certain level of aftercare from the production and the company to, you know, treat it as, as a physical injury because it essentially is one, is one, you know, it's an injury. And I think it's important um, to be able to talk about it because there have been instances, you know, way before cultural coordination was even thought of where I have experienced things happening on stage with the audience and we would all get backstage and it's like, we all experienced that. We all heard that. We all saw that. We all felt that no one talked about it mm -hmm. and no one had, we, there wasn't even a conversation. And I think, um, whether it's having a conversation with the, the company, whether it's checking on the actor to make sure that they're okay. I remember in one instance, it, a friend told me that, you know, they they were allowed not to go on for the curtain call because of mm. something that had happened. And I was like, you know, it's really important that we as artists, as actors, even though we're playing a role, even though it may or may not be real, this is, that is emotional labor in and of itself to get on stage every night and yeah. tell this story, especially if there's a cultural lens, a, you know, a racial lens that it's being told through, mm -hmm. that there needs to be um, a level of education for the audience as well. Mm. Um, to say this is the story that you're stepping into. And as we've said, I think in almost all of the the episodes that we've recorded it needs to be more proactive rather than reactionary. Yes. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much, Ashley, for conducting an incredible interview again. Um, I had such a great time listening and, and discovering and 
hearing more about what cultural coordination is. So thank you. And our amazing listeners out there, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Visit art-newyork.org to learn more about our many programs and offerings, including our very own What's Off podcast. Until next time. At Art New York, we empower our community to define their own vision for success and always keep an eye out for what's next. Our responsive resources, just like this podcast, illuminate truly innovative solutions to the toughest challenges facing our field. You can support the next wave of theatrical innovation by visiting our website at art-newyork.org slash donate to make a donation today. Thank you. What's Off is a production of Art New York. Executive producer, David E. Shane. Associate producer, Erica Ray Barnes. Line producers, Ashley J. Hicks and Nikki Maggio. With audio engineering by Catalene Media. Media.